Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 60 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and this is a quick bonus episode. Well, it's not actually quick. It's the regular length, Um, but it's a bonus episode I filled into the schedule for a long list of reasons because I misnumbered a few things. So you guys get an extra episode this week. Lucky you. In this interview, I'm chatting with this amazing and super experienced designer. She is so lovely. Her name is Carla Louise Stout, and I know you guys are going to love hearing her story She got started in the industry sort of through a traditional path, uh, going to fashion school, getting her first job. But here's the thing. She pushed hard to get that first job. She told us she went through over 20 interviews before she could get hired. She experienced what a lot of you out there tell me you experienced. The whole, you can't get experience unless you have experience. It's the chicken and egg thing and you can't figure out what comes first. So Carla did something really interesting to get her portfolio noticed and to get her foot in the door at her first job in the fashion industry almost 15 years ago. And she shares with us not only exactly how she did that, but how she built her career up to work in Shanghai, in Hong Kong, in Istanbul, and really, really get to the top of her game in her career to the point where she was heading up entire departments and teams designing product that was being sold throughout the world. Um, Really, really fun story and so many great insights on how you can kickstart your fashion career and how you can build and grow and get to the heights that you want in the fashion industry. I know you guys are going to love this interview with Carla. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you would share it. What you can do to do that is simply share it in a Facebook group. I know a lot of you guys are in fashion support groups, whether it's for launching your own brand or whether it's for working in the industry, whatever it is. I know there are so many awesome Facebook groups out there for people looking for support and help in terms of getting ahead and making it in the fashion industry. If you're part of a group and you think they would enjoy listening to the podcast, I would be so grateful if you would take a second right now to share either this episode or the successful fashion designer podcast in general with them too many times people tell me they wish they discovered this way long ago and i want to stop hearing that i want people to discover it right when they need it and get the information and the insights they need right now and you listening right now are the number one way to help do that so take 30 seconds right now and share this podcast with a facebook group that you're part of all right you guys let's jump into the interview with carla as always Always to access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 60. And I know you're going to enjoy this chat. Here we go. I'll start. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. Um, so Carla, welcome to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. I am really, really, really excited to chat with you and hear about all the amazing adventures you've been on in your career in the fashion industry. Um, let's start with the introduction and please tell everybody who you are and, and what you do. Awesome. Thank you very much. It's great to be on here. Um, so my name is Carla Louise Stout and I'm a fashion designer. Um, 
I'm originally from Manchester, which is in the north of England, and I have been in the fashion industry for coming up to 13 years now. Um, I specialise in women's wear, uh, wovens, jersey and apparel graphics. And the areas that I've worked in are the retail sector at the supply level for people like Topshop, New Look and Marks and Spencers. Um, and more recently within a casual wear brand um, called Marvy Jeans. Um, over half of my career, um, I've worked internationally. So from London to Shanghai, Hong Kong to Istanbul. And this has many highs and lows and lots of like magical moments. And I've loved it. That's so cool. Um, okay, so let's kind of start from the beginning quickly. Like, how did you get started in the industry 13 years ago? Did you go to fashion school? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay. I, um, well, straight from high school, because we work it differently in the UK, we finish high, high school at 16, then we go to college, and then we go to university. Okay. So in college, uh, from like 16 to 18, I um, did an art course, um and that was amazing i really love i'm i really love drawing and and creative projects and that that era was basically where i learned more about fashion and textiles because you have a fashion course within the art course and my um tutor once said to me you really love the body form because i loved life drawing and textiles and maybe fashion could be an area that i'd like to go you know that i would like to go into and it was. I really loved it. I um, then went to Manchester Metropolitan University and I did a clothing design technology course, which kind of integrated more of the pattern making and sewing skills with the design, which is what I really love because there's problem solving in there and how to put things together and why you would put a sleeve on this way and the movement of, of clothing. Um, from there, I graduated in 2006 and then decided to move from Manchester directly to London without a job. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I, um, I really wanted to work in London. I'd done my internship there at a company called Monsoon, which was like more of an embellished um, luxury brand. And um, they didn't really use any computers at that point. I, we did everything on like these giant pieces of kind of rolled out paper and all these artworks with like bugle beads stuck on with glue and, and tape. And then we'd send it to India. It was just amazing. Wow. I loved it. Are and we the, back in like 2005 or six-ish? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Nobody, nobody really used, well, there was computers, but the designers at that, at that company, they were just like, no, we don't like computers. We don't really use them. <laughs> So it let you know it was left to kind of assistants or, or interns to do all the kind of computer work, and then would get involved in the more creative side as well a little bit. Um, of course, you know you still had to make the brews and do all that kind of stuff, do the photocopying. <laughs> um, but yeah, after I graduated from uni, I moved to London and then. And started immediately, obviously, looking for um, a job because living in London with no job on, you know, with a credit card and whatever savings you had was quite difficult. And um, I did, I was actually offered a role at a, a label called Frost French, which was Sadie Frost's label. Um, but unfortunately, um, I couldn't take it because 
they weren't offering any salary and I couldn't afford to, to do that kind of that job without any salary it was just impossible for me yeah the old I didn't have the funds work for free in the fashion industry tricks yeah. that everybody thinks especially when you're especially when you're newly out of, yeah. of, of uni because you need experience always, they always say we prefer you to have experience and even though you've got intern experience they say oh we want you to get experience and how can I get experience if I can't get a, you know my first job yeah and, you know, that kind of kind of chicken and egg thing yeah it's crazy when you first when you when you first graduate and I didn't really want to work within a label and a brand or a brand but just that kind of wall kept on coming up so I briefly took a consultant um, a small consultant role within a company doing soft separates and that was only for a few months before I accepted another role at a bigger company and this was a supplier I never kind of considered working for a supplier before um, and supplier, this supplier basically um, supplied the high street and the customers ranged from Maxa Spencer's, uh, which was like an older brand to Topshop, which was like the young, cool, cool retailer. Um, so for people uh, out there listening who may not be familiar with how some of this works, explain how a supplier works in, in this sense. So a supplier basically is a company where brands and retailers like um like anthropology or mm, let me think of another one like levi's uh, would go to to kind of get bulk out their their design collection um because not everything is designed in-house at that label or brand um or they go there for inspiration. But with my kind of, the sector I was working in, um, the retailers, so for example, Topshop would come into the supplier company and they would say they're doing this kind of um, collection and then we would show them our collection ideas and they would pick and choose what would fit into what they are doing in store from what you're doing. And you would design for across a range of customers. So you have to wear different hats all at the same time. So you would have Topshop coming in, then you would have New Look coming in, who are different, completely different different types of retailers. Mm-hmm. Then you would have Marks and Spencers, who's completely different to both of them because that's the older lady and she doesn't want to wear sequined hot pants. So, um, yeah, it was, it was quite, it was quite shocking um, when I first got that that first big role um, that was paid, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was an assistant designer, and it wasn't what I expected. I really did have unrealistic expectations when I I would say this is my first proper um, job out of university, and I didn't realize um, I didn't actually realize what went into uh, working it in that kind of environment mm. it was really um fast paced extremely fast paced because everybody wanted everything yesterday the buyers predominantly had all of the control of what they wanted to see and in my mind uh, when i was at university i used to think you know like there was a pyramid the designers were at the top of the pyramid mm. they would design and and decide everything and then everybody else would just do what you know 
what was needed. But actually, the buyers, you need to please the buyers and they're, they're the people that are in control of what, you know, what they buy and what they want. And they, you know, they have an opinion as well. So you have to please the buyers. Then you also have to please, you know, the consumers and what you think the consumer was. And you need this type of experience anyway to start as an assistant because I really actually just wanted to get in with like both feet and start designing. And I, I didn't actually get to do that for a while in that company because, um, you know, I was assisting the designers and then the senior designers, assisting the head of design. And I, at, at that company, I was uh, responsible for all the trims. So I became the button queen. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, and... Um, I think you do need to start, uh, start, you know, everybody needs to start somewhere. And um, that job did teach me a lot of uh, invaluable skills that you really need to survive in this type of industries. For example, you, um, how to research for multiple customers, how to develop your design eye, which, you know, you need to basically be really observant, um, look at colour and composition, look at like visual hierarchies and, um, and fabrics and trims and how to kind of bring that all together so it makes sense when you're presenting. And I would only learn that from, from the designers and, and the head of design and, and watching what they would do and how they would do it. Um, also, you know, how to balance working with a lot of like different personalities and <laughs> designers have some some of the strongest personalities um i've come across um so it's just learning how to to deal and work with people and form like good relationships um across the range yeah. um also time management which you know is always an ongoing struggle um that was really important to learn and you know the basics like creating tech parks and doing the fittings and you know the ba basic design process and that's why I learned that's what I learned in that role yeah um well and then from there yeah hold on oh, really on. fast no I just I want to know because like you touched on something that was so like I hear so 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 often from people is how am I supposed to get experience if I need experience to get experience. It's like the chicken and egg thing. And so then you yes. said, oh, ultimately I was able to get this job at a supplier. Like, do you think that it was just sheer luck that you got the job? Or like, what do you think was the difference? Because I know you said, okay, well, this other brand wanted me to work for free. That was a non-option, which is also something I, I tell people, I don't promote working for free. Um, mm -mm. So like, how do you think you ultimately wound up getting that first job that that got you kickstarted? Um. I think basically, um, I was I, did, I interviewed for probably about 20, 20 roles, and the same thing came up was mm. the experience. So basically, um, although I did have my portfolio from uni, I just basically, you know, you'd think it's kind of makes sense now. I'm thinking about it now, but at, the, at that point in time, I didn't even think to do this, but just adding in more uh, projects like personal projects that I would do by myself mm. um, and just trying to bulk it out and make it more diverse and a little bit more more interesting and trying to base it on instead of like conceptual ideas of what you know the, when you do it um, projects at uni is very conceptual and it's like oh base it on a tree 
that's blowing in the wind from and this poem from <laughs> uh, the 19th century yeah and I I try to make it more relevant to to what what kind of trends are going on on the high street because mm. uh, high street is basically where I wanted to be yeah um our higher level mid-level to higher level so I kind of gave myself a bit of a reality check and and added some more um, projects into my portfolio and I feel like that helped that's huge. I love that. It's such a like it's such a simple, tangible takeaway. It's like, okay, yeah, and I've talked about this before and other guests have talked about this of how conceptual the schoolwork is and I think that that's something that recent grads really overemphasize in their portfolio. Mm. But then taking a step back and thinking like, okay, well what is the real like what's the end customer really going to buy and like who am I really talking to and who the market is and putting together some self-directed projects that make a little bit more sense that, you know, are are that, that speak to the brands that you want to work with exactly exactly because you do kind of come out of uni with all these kind of airy fairy ideas and <laughs> if that's the way you want to go if you want to go to like a luxury and high level um design um area that's kind of okay but you still you still need to you still need to sell the clothes at the end of the day you yeah still, you know need to make them inviting for the public and customers that they want to buy. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. I love that. I love that um, you had that insight and you did it and then it worked and it's such a simple, I mean, it's work, but it's something that someone listening could easily take that and run with it right now. So, cool. Cool. Uh, good, very cool. Good, good. Yeah. So then what happened? So then um, I worked for two of the, um, two other similar companies. Um, I basically you know, I wanted to do more. I wanted to get more involved. I was really hungry to like, like learn more. And it was a little bit stagnated at that company. There was no movement. So then I took another job as an assistant. And then from there, I was just like more, more, more and took another job in another company, which is all same, like similar kind of supply level as a junior. And, um, and then from there, um, I was offered another role as a designer at, a, at another supplier's. And at this point, I just want to add that you do kind of get a typecast um, mm -hmm. when you're a designer, whether it be department typecast or level typecast. Mm. Once you work in the suppliers, it's really hard to, um, almost impossible to break into luxury or it's really hard to work for a brand um, because then they, they, you know, when you're interviewing, they're like, we really want you to have in-house brand or in-house retail experience. But in my mind's eye, they, you know, if you work for a supplier, you, you've got a multitude and a range of experiences working for different companies under the same roof. And, mm -hmm. and it's, if not more... Um, more difficult um, and you have to work, work smarter in those kind of companies um, but anyway um, I was offered uh, another role with a supplier in, and this is all in London so I've been in London for quite a few years now okay and with this supplier this is the um, the company that actually asked me to move to uh, Shanghai after a year of working with them ah so I was working with this company doing formal wear. So um, it was really nice because I'd worked, I tried to kind of um, 
get a variety of experience in different um, areas so I could kind of figure out which area that I wanted to work in more and just learn, you know, the learning experience of it all. So I worked with this company doing farmerware and after about a year of working in the London office, um, they asked if I would be interested in in working in a new office in Shanghai. So they'd, they'd already, they already have a head office, which is in Hong Kong, and I'd previously done you know, many trips to China to um, go to the factories and, you know, the sample rooms and, you know, check everything that's going on there and go see fabrics. And so I've, I've, I've already been to China a few times at that point. And they thought it would be a good idea to open an office in Shanghai because a lot of the buyers would go to Shanghai and they thought it would be good to have a designer there to design and just show to the buyers like directly, you could get everything done so fast when mm-hmm. you're there. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was intense. So I, um, I, I didn't even think about it. I was just like, yes, that sounds <laughs> amazing. And then I went home that night and I was like, crap <laughs> I don't even know what that involves I have yeah. no idea so um I I said I came back the next day and I I basically asked for a couple of days to to think about it and let's come back together and have a meeting about what what you know what does it involve and I came back with my list <laughs> what was on your list um Basically, my list was like accommodation, flights, what does a job role involve, travel, um, salary. Um, because after re- doing a lot of research, the the relocation packages are quite a bit different uh, when you're working abroad. Like the the packages that work packages are different when you're working abroad completely. Mm. Um, so and that's what I found out from my research. So there's a lot of things on the list. Okay. Um, and we went through everything and we renegotiated my contract, which I didn't think they uh, I didn't think they thought I would do because <laughs> <laughs> at that point I was still quite a like naive-ish 25 year old. Yeah. And I was just like yeah la la la. I like sequins. And. Um, so we renegotiated my um, working contract and we kind of set in stone the what I would be responsible for in the Shanghai office, which is a lot more than what I was, what I was doing in the, the London office. Um, and it was, it was exciting. The day I traveled was like a melting pot of emotions I was scared I was excited um and it was just all like I I can't describe the feeling it's just everything all at once yeah and um but like the underlying theme was I was just really excited to do this and and I've always had kind of an adventurous nature anyway um so how quickly did you how quickly from when the opportunity came up to when you actually moved it's about one month okay it's pretty quick yeah really quick so So you just like pack up your stuff and like yeah cancel your lease and like you what 
I only had like two suitcases. Okay. And just like, <laughs> just say, okay, I'm, I'm going, here I go. Yeah. <laughs> just like, wow. bye, mom. <laughs> yeah, see you later. But what an adventure. And so, so, okay, so, so keep going. I just wanted to know like what the timeline was. Yeah. Okay. So I moved to Shanghai. Um, luckily, um, I already knew one person who was actually living there and that person I also worked with in my very first job. Ah. So, and I, we'd stayed in contact. I pretty much stay in contact with most of the people I work with just because, n- not through trying to, but just because, uh, you know, you, you do and you like them. You like not a message every now and again, how are you doing and stuff. Yeah. And that really helped. That really, really helped. Um, at least I knew one person there because when I landed, I knew China was different because I'd been there before and I knew it would be difficult Um but I didn't realise how difficult it would be. And I didn't actually realise how homesick I would get because mm. I've been living in London and I didn't really get homesick for Manchester. So I thought, oh, I won't get homesick. And I really did. I really did get quite homesick. Um, and um, it was, uh, yeah, it was just a massive challenge. And I'll go into that more more later about the kind of, details of it all but I ended up staying there for um, some time so for about a year and a half I was living in Shanghai and I was kind of slowly getting to grips with the language making more friends um, and you know getting to understand the subtle cultural nuances and are not so subtle in some cases mm. um, and really enjoying myself, really, really enjoying myself, going on trips and excursions outside in the surrounding areas of Shanghai and just finding my special little spots within Shanghai. And, you know, it was really, really inspirational, like creatively phenomenal. I loved it. Sketchbook, walking around the, like with my sketchbook, walking around the streets and just doing little sketches, taking photographs. It was, it was overwhelming creatively. I just loved it. Yeah. Um, and then after a year and a half, I was then um, asked, no, I'm in the same company, and then I was asked to head up um, the formal outerwear and casual wear in Hong Kong. And that kind of came as a surprise, um, but the, there had been an opening and an opportunity there, and the company thought that I could, you know, I was at that point where I could add the experience to and the skill to fill that opening and they asked me if I wanted to move to Hong Kong. And there was some reservations there. Hong Kong is a lot easier, a lot of an easier place to live than Shanghai, I would say, but I just started to find my feet and I was not 100% certain I wanted to make another move so so soon. Yeah. But I didn't want to pass up the opportunity uh, to actually head um, a department. Yeah, it was a big career jump for you. Yeah, pretty big and a really, really um, good experience that I, that I really wanted and needed. And um, yeah, so I agreed. Again, we did the whole process of like changing my contract and, and working out the, 
the details. Of they knew goal. what to expect from you this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This time I brought an Excel sheet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was like, uh, very, um, I was very experienced in, in, in that. With working with that company as well, I kind of knew, uh, we knew each other quite well. I'd been working for them for all together, probably a four years. So I, I worked, um, I then took my two suitcases and said goodbye to the friends I'd made. But, you know, Shanghai and Hong Kong are very close. I did come back quite a lot, again, for work and just for little trips, especially on Chinese New Year. Um, and moved to Hong Kong. And the differences between Hong Kong and Shanghai are quite profound. You don't actually realise, you know, because they're so close, you you don't actually realise how different they are, but they're completely different. You know, uh, well, uh, the main thing is uh, Shanghai, in Shanghai in China, mainland China, they speak Mandarin. In Hong Kong, uh, they speak Cantonese and the tones are different. So, you, again, you're learning a new language. But um, at that point, um, Hong Kong was still under uh, British rule. So um, we hadn't given it back to China yet. So a lot of people spoke English and it was easier in that way, a lot easier. But the sense of adventure wasn't as as uh, prevalent there, I would say, because it was a little bit easier and I, I kind of like a challenge. So I was like, oh, this is too easy. <laughs> I can get on the bus and say where I'm going without any problems. I don't like this. <laughs> it was really weird. Cause it was a weird feeling to have because you're thinking to yourself, oh, don't be silly. This is nice. It's easy. Um, although kind of the working life, uh, the work and lifestyle um, is different. They, they work extremely hard in both countries. But in Hong Kong, there, there was a, very much of a party scene. So I did work really hard, but then I also played really hard. And, and the landscape was quite different. So there was beaches. You could um, go to the beach at the weekend or you could go on treks up you know, beautiful mountains. Um, and, yeah, that was, that was um, another kind of challenge. I had to meet new people and learn about... Um, Hong Kongese kind of culture and and what it, you know, what's rude, what isn't rude, and you know the the different kind of the differences between them. Um, but I kind of settled in quite quite fast and quite easily because you know I knew the Hong Kong office anyway, and they knew me, so it was easier in that respect. Um, and the foods that are quite similar. So there was, there was a few similarities that, that kind of helped the transition. Um, but I did find that in Shanghai, it was more relaxed. It was really um, chilled out. I'm trying to think of an example. And I can think of an English example. Um, like London and Manchester. Manchester is more relaxed than London. Uh, let me think. New York and San Francisco maybe that kind of that kind of difference 
Yes. So um, basically, um, I had a small team and I did get to be a part of some of the hiring um, at my, you know, with my time there, which was great, you know, learning how to interview somebody and, and what, need, what, what kind of qualities I would need to have on my team. That was like a new experience for me. Um, and learning how to um, maybe basically lead the team, inspire them, um, and um, you know, stay calm in stressful situations, um, <laughs> which is which is really hard actually, because when you're, especially when you're working with somebody who isn't um, who doesn't have English as their first language, and you want to explain something to them and it's not coming across it's not translating to nobody's fault it's just you see it a different way and they see it a different way and ba and basically my time through Shanghai and Hong Kong I was always um I would say learning how to uh, communicate uh with precision and also um communicate non-verbally uh, which always, always helps, really does help, you know, hand gestures, drawings, <laughs> body language. Um, that all comes a part of it. You learn how to simplify, simplify uh, how you're explaining something so somebody will really get it. Um, and use certain words that translate easily. Because, you know, a lot of the time you are speaking with people who uh, their English is, you know, fluent, pretty good. But sometimes, like a lot of our pattern colours, their English, their English, I can't speak English myself. Their English is, is basic and you want to explain how the flair of something isn't, isn't full enough and you have to kind of, do all of these movements and you end up looking like a chicken somehow and everybody's laughing at you because you can't remember the Cantonese word or Chinese word and it's kind of you have to um I think you have to not take yourself so seriously with those types of things but it's always fun so if you if you treat every every problem as well um like it's not the end of the world and be calm and patient um and kind of analyze what what you know what's gone wrong. I think you'll get you'll get there. I don't like the idea that you know there's a problem arises and it's like somebody's fault and oh my god, because that's not going to help the situation. So yeah, that that's that was me in Hong Kong. Like I said, I worked really hard, so we would work most days till midnight. Uh, and then I would go for dinner with my friends. <laughs> and then I would be up again at seven o'clock in the morning. I would like to go for a run because um, the place is gorgeous where I was living. And um, and I think I had the stanima um, to do that at that point in my life. So, yeah, I was burning the candle at both ends, really. So I was there for nearly two years, like a year and a half, nearly two years. And I uh, got to a point where I, you know, I was working really hard. Things were going 
really well. I was meeting with the buyers regularly. So I was heading meetings and doing presentations, going to factories, uh, meeting with the factory owners, which was sometimes an issue because they didn't respect females so much when I was there. So you had to be really firm. Um, And, you know, heading the team and and the fabrics and the trims and just kind of overseeing everything as well as designing. And it got to a point where I decided I just really wanted to see more of the world. Um, I'd been in China for three years and I felt there was more to to this world than what I was being able to see because my holidays were bare minimum. Like I'd get maybe 10 days a year holiday, including Chinese New Year. Um, and that didn't allow me to, it, you know, I'd either go home to see my family or I'd go on holiday. And it just didn't seem enough. I, so I took, um, I took the um, kind of basically decided that I would take some time out of working to go traveling. I'd saved um, a bit of money and I thought it was a good point. It's a good timing. It felt right because um, I was already over that side of the world and I'd gained so much experience that I felt like I could take some time out. And I did. I took, um, I, I originally planned to have a year out um, and go and see all the countries that had been on my hit list for since I was 16. Um, and I did that I packed up again said goodbye this time I only took one rucksack sent a box or two home and gave the rest of it away and um traveled to through China to Vietnam I did Cambodia then Laos and Thailand and at a six month part maybe it was five I was I was given the news by my family that my grandma was terminally terminally ill. So I decided to um, just sack the trip off and go home and spend time with my my gram and look at you know help look after her and spend time with my family because I was really cl- I'm very very close to my grandparents. They kind of were uh, instrumental in bringing us up and my um, my grandma is very much into fashion she was very much into Mary Kwan and um, all that all those kind of names and labels and and she was one of like very strong character and I wanted to well, obviously I wanted to be there so I am um, I came home and basically stayed here for it was probably about maybe six or seven months um, until she passed away. And after that, I spent some time, more time with my family to kind of grieve and um, get over the, the passing of my grandma. Um, and that was, it was good. It was good ta- Good timing was, was probably not the best word to use, but it was, it was nice to be able to come back without any stresses to be here because I'd already decided that I was traveling um, and taking time out anyway. So, and that was really hard. It's, it's, 
when you lose somebody that close to you, it's, it's really hard to, you don't actually know how much it affects you until it happens and then you don't realise it's actually affecting you when you're making certain decisions. And I decided to, um, after some time, take a, another job in London. And if I'm honest, I wasn't really happy there. Um, I think I was still... Yeah. Um, I think I was still grieving. And... Um, and I don't know, there was, a, there was a combination of things that it just wasn't me. I wasn't doing what I do and I didn't feel like myself there. And um, it was, you know, a great company. We did some lovely stuff. It was another suppliers, again, for the high street. So our high street looks like this. We have, like, New Look, River Island, Topshop, um, Urban Outfitters, um, and those kind of, like, mid-level um labels and again it was really you know this I knew what I was doing because it was suppliers um and I knew what I was doing because it was the same type of customer and it was okay um but I didn't feel a hundred percent happy and and fulfilled is probably the best word and I didn't actually stay there for very long. Um, it was probably about a year I was in that company because um, I was always looking for other opportunities while I was there, to be honest. I was like, I just don't feel right here. You, can you, you know it when you're not in the right place? And um, out of the blue, one day, a, a um, agent, so in... In the fashion industry, people are not in it. That you have agencies who have jobs on their books from certain brands and labels and suppliers, and they will contact you. You have like a long-standing relationship with these people. Um, a love-hate relationship with these people. Um, and an agent uh, contacted me and asked if I would be interested in interviewing for a brand called Marvy Jeans, and I. I knew of this brand from from before. I really respected the the brand. It's a casual wear denim brand, and I and you know the job would be in Istanbul. And I was like, hmm, uh, why not? Why not go for the interview and see what they have to say and see if they like me. And, um, and then so I, we we arranged for the interview for Marvy Jeans, and the next day. I was called up from another agent asking if I would like to go for an interview for um, Esprit. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Okay. Before we go any further, it, so first of all, an agent in the UK, would, that, would you relate that to a recruiter? Would yeah. You... Recruitment agent. Recruitment okay. agent. Okay, same yeah. Thing, same thing. Okay. I thought so. Um, yeah. So, um, like, all these opportunities that just seem to be falling in your lap. Yeah. Why is people even finding you? I um, I put all my stuff on LinkedIn, okay. like everybody. Okay. But I have, um, and then I, I, from, like, originally from starting out as a designer, I visited all of the agencies um, 
that were in London. So you have a couple of names that you, you go visit. And there's probably about, you, you kind of learn which are the good ones and which aren't so, not so good ones. And there's probably about 15. Okay, so um, is this like way back when you first started out of school? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and they would see you. Yeah, and I would go with my, I went with my portfolio and I've regularly gone to see them. So I always update them with what I'm doing. Oh. Um, just in case they have something that's like super interesting or little bits of golden nuggets. Yes. And they'll go, oh, I know, I remember Carla. She she phoned me last week and said, oh, she's got a new job here. Oh, she's been working here and she might be interested in something new. Or, you know, I keep, I always, um, like, keep the communication going uh, with the, with agencies that I like. Yeah. I want to just, uh, like, point, because you made a comment earlier of, like, you always stay in touch with the people that you've worked with just to, like, ping them and just say, hey, how's it going? Just wanted to say hi. And it sounds like you did the same thing with the agents or recruiters. And I really, I don't know how much you see it or how much you would attribute, like, your continued success and all these jobs, air quotes here, like, falling in your lap. But, yeah. you know, that channel that open channel of communication and that continually just keeping people updated um and just saying hi to say hi I to me I see as like and obviously you're very very good at what you do but beyond that like keeping that quote you know network hmm. open is huge yeah. it seems like it's been huge in your continued success to create new opportunities and to grow your your career would you say that's fair I would, yeah, yeah, I would say I agree with that. Um, when you put it like that, yeah, I do, I do agree with um, it. I just, it kind of comes a second nature, really. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I can't say much more than that. I, I think it just comes a second nature to keep in contact with people who, um, one, I like, and two, you know, I, I think it would be useful. Yeah. Um, and I, I uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. Um, I didn't actually think of it before. <laughs> well, no, because it's interesting. I mean, in like doing, you know, so many interviews and talking to so many different designers and like, it's so fascinating because most of the ones that continue to grow and, and just keep seeming to magically get these opportunities, it really does come down to just building relationships and having friendships and people that you talk to regularly. And for some of us, that does come really natural. And for some people, it's really not. So I like to just point it out because it's a mm. commonality I see over and over and over um, in, the, in the podcast interviews. Um, so anyway, so the, you got these yeah. two opportunities from two different agencies – yeah, so it was it was a crazy week. I took some time off work secretly, of course, and um, <laughs> and um, flew. Oh, it was insane! Actually, I, I, it was pretty fun. I was very excited. I flew to Germany to have the interview with Esprit, and that was great. It went it went amazingly well, um, and that was in Dusseldorf. Um, uh, Dusseldorf is an interesting place. It's nice, but I didn't see myself there. So I was like, okay, it went great, but I don't. I'm not 100% certain. And then uh, from the Germany, from the airport in Germany, I flew directly to Istanbul. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I was just like pinching myself. I was like, woo, yes, I am. Yeah. Um, 
I flew directly to Istanbul, stayed there the night, and then I had to interview with Marvy Jeans the next day. And that went really, really well. Like, I'd never had an interview like it. I interviewed with the head of design and the director, and their personalities were just explosive, is probably the best word for it. They were just hilarious, and my... Um, Head of design had previously worked for Vivian Westwood, so she was like massively quirky and and personable and just crazy. And the the director was, you know, the same. He was like just a great character, and we had we hit it off really well. And there was a lot of a banter, lots of like conversation flowing really smoothly. And after that, I came out of that interview. They took me for a tour of the the um, the stores. And I was like, oh, I really like, I really, really like the company. And then what clinched it for me, because I'd never been to Istanbul ever in my life. And I think I'd went, I, went, I went to Turkey when I was seven. So I'd never really spent any time in Turkey. And what clinched it for me is I went for, they took me for dinner. And I had the best kebab <laughs> I'd ever <laughs> eaten, ever seriously it was beautiful <laughs> and I thought to myself I really like the company I really like the management I really like the food god they have good kebabs <laughs> <laughs> so good it's so good <laughs> to this day I'm like that's amazing oh um, my god and if they offer me the job I'm definitely going to take it and about probably about a month and a half later it took it was a quite a long process um, I interviewed repeatedly with um, some of the HR department and other members of the company and was then offered the job. Did you do those other interviews over the phone or remote or did you keep going back? Oh, it, I wish I kept going back. No, the first main interview was with the head of design and the director was in Istanbul and then they did Skype interviews. Okay, gotcha. And, wow, um, but a month and a half. So that was, it was a process. Yeah, it was a it was a full pro process of just finding out if we were a good match, um, which I really liked. I really appreciated that because they wanted to know they had the right person. Uh. Um, and when I got the job, I felt um, confident that I was going to be in the right place. Mm. So I, I did like that kind of process. Um, yeah, and then I I. Um, Got the job, and within, oh, God, it was probably about a month again, a month to three weeks. It was so fast. They asked if I could start at a certain date, and I, uh, again, was like, Mom, I'm moving away. <laughs> <laughs> How many suitcases this time? <laughs> uh, it was about three suitcases. Okay. <laughs> and, um, like, relocation boxes. Yeah. Like, uh, which, you know, was, was covered. Yeah. And I moved to um, Istanbul. And that was oh, amazing. It was amazing. Because I kind of knew what to expect from re relocating twice before. It, it was very, very different to China and, and Hong well, Istanbul and, no, sorry, very different to Shanghai and Hong Kong. In, you know, the obvious respect that it was China. And this was a Eastern um, country, um, Middle East country, and um, 
I was put up in a hotel, firstly, for a few months while um, I found an apartment and absolutely loved it. As soon as I got the, the studio was amazing. It was about the first time I'd worked with 30 plus designers. I had a department. Um, first, I worked with the casual wear doing uh, wovens, women's wovens. And with what I've I've got experience with, and um, then I was given the urban department, which was like the young trendy girl, um, and that was doing like cross between woven, a little bit of jersey, a little bit of denim, and I'm working with a small team again, and I absolutely loved it. Turkish people are so welcoming, um, and more open, way more open. Um, than I thought they would be. Um, again, I had the difficulties of trying to learn the language. And I don't know what's more difficult, Mandarin or Turkish. They both blew my mind. Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, it, it, again, it's really hard. You move into somewhere, you start in a new job, you're working with new people, you don't have any friends at that point. And you're trying to learn the language, you're trying to learn the systems and a brand does work differently to a supplier. So you're trying to work, you know, learn the way the brand works because you get to concentrate on the, you know, the brand's look, that one brand look, but there's other factors that you have to think about. Wait, yeah, um, so this is your first time working for a brand now. You broke yes. out of the supplier pigeonhole. I broke free. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so talk a little bit more about that. And then the differences between the two, it sounds like it was a big adjustment. Yeah, the, um, it, is quite, it is quite different. It is quite different. Uh, not the design part, because the whole process of designing, you, you're doing the same thing. You do your research. Um, and I'd say working with a supplier, it's harder because you're researching a multitude of um, elements because you need to work within different customer bases but with a brand you're just researching for this one customer and this one type you know within the customer range it's like this one type of person for the Marvy girl so I really like to kind of I always like to kind of build a persona when I'm researching anyway so I'm like the girl's called Serenai, which is actually a, a, a famous um, Turkish actress. Um, Serenai, she she loves to hang around with her friends. She likes to go to the beach at the weekends. You know, you like building yeah, uh, personality. Yeah, you can. I find I do that anyway wherever I work, and I find that really really helps when you're designing because you're like, oh, would Serenai wear this? And it's like a little person. You do kind of start to think that you're a little bit crazy <laughs> you're building like a lone little friend um but it really helps it really does help and then with um working within a brand they have uh, the calendars that they work towards like specific calendars that they work towards and they have different departments doing um, like product, the PD, like product production, and the trim the trims department, and the fabric department. Where as a supplier, you're kind of doing that all yourself. So you're not cons 
you're not focusing directly on design. You're doing everything, which is great, but you're kind of spreading yourself a little thin. Yeah. Um, whereas within the brand, you kind of have more time to delve deep into the kind of philosophy of who you're designing for and what she wants to wear. And, and then you have the best and worst meetings where you find out what's doing really well which is really nice to know what's what's happening in the market of you know with your designs and, and supply you don't really get that until you know unless you're like pester the buyers that you're working with how's it doing what's going on yeah. and you kind of only know that with the suppliers when they ask you for repeats or updates and then you know okay this this type of thing's selling really well yeah yeah and I kind of get why because they're working with you know several suppliers they're not just working with your company yeah so with with a brand you get to sit in and with these meetings and go through the best and worst and you're like yeah my stuff's the best seller let's talk about the hero products these hero products are like the basics with a twist um let's talk about the updates let's talk about what this what what Sarah and I what our girl wants next and then you then you're on the other side of the fence you are visiting suppliers and you're you with marvi uh the we mainly visited the suppliers for fabrics and for little like kind of trimming ideas or detailed ideas um so it's a little bit different in that respect um it wasn't wasn't um i would say to bulk out the collection Mm-hmm. We didn't really need to do that because we had all the designers um, kind of covering all the bases. Um, but then you would visit the suppliers, and they would basically they would put through the samples, and you would they would like the sample room really, in that that kind of idea. And then you would be involved in the kind of be involved in like campaign ideas, and you would see your stuff on advertisements and in lookbooks and on you know commercials and you know, in windows and you know you know you know exactly when things are going to be in store because you're told <laughs> which is <laughs> it's nice to know when when things are going to be out so you're like let's go and check it out yeah and, um, how does that how did that feel oh amazing amazing cuz before you you constantly looking on the high streets of you know Try to spot something. Yeah, <laughs> because sometimes you would do a design for for um, a retailer. So as a supplier, you do a design for a retailer. They would be like, "Oh, we need it for this summer," but then something would happen, and it wouldn't go till next go installed till next summer. But you don't you don't know that. <laughs> you're not told, right? So you'll see somebody in your coat, and you're like. Just like walking down the street, you're like, oh, my God, it's him. It's finally here. I made that coat. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, so, yeah, working with the brand, it was really nice because um, it was more of a, you, you kind of, I think it, it, it's different with each brand, but with Marvy, it was a very much of a family atmosphere. Um, and I really did enjoy working for the company. But then, you know, you have to learn how to work with product development. So passing your your tech packs to the product development team, who would majority, you know, majority of the time discuss with the the factories what's what's going to happen. And you're like releasing your babies, and you're not sure what's going to happen with them. You want because I'm not very 
I'm not very, um, I'm not used to doing that. I'm used to seeing things all the way through yeah. to the end. Yeah. Where I'm like just letting my babies go and I'm like, please look left and right when you cross the road. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but again, you know, um, just living in another country was really hard. Um, the main things were, oh God, I have so, so many um, issues um, with kind of, again, trying to fit in to a community um, and basic things like um, I had a flood in the apartment um, just going back to like personal stuff had a flood in the apartment and trying to call um, trying to call somebody to like a plumber to some to try and sort it out and just not be able to communicate um, because you haven't got the language language skills yeah um, and that was really hard and what was really hard is asking for help um, because I you know at that you know that kind of time I had like a really nice group of friends and finding those friends is is hard enough but then you know you don't want to feel like a burden so um, I'm not very good at asking for help anyway and just realizing that you know sometimes you do need a little bit of help yeah. when you when you when you live abroad and that, and just phoning up one of my best friends and saying please can you come and translate <laughs> help me with this flood yeah and not feeling like a burden on them um yeah so um Istanbul was amazing um I lived there for coming up to well it was four years and there was many highs and lows um with the country's changing political line you know landscape that was one of the main uh, changes while I was there um I really, really did love it there. I did, you know, eventually make some really, really good friends that made the whole experience magical. And as you get older, it does get a little bit harder to form those connections because you have, you, you know, you don't always want to go out and go drinking and that kind of thing. So you're kind of finding your friendships through other means. So I, I you know I went to a lot of meetups and. I joined a lot of running clubs, and <laughs> you, know, you know, you find your 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 people in, in that way. And I got to a point where I really loved the job, really loved the job. Um, but personally, I thought it was time to leave for several reasons, um, politically and other things. And I decided to um, come back to England after four years, and that was kind of hard because that's that that the place that I'd lived, I'd you know it was unfurnished. I'd bought all my furniture, I'd, I'd made like some solid friendships. Um, I was really um, confident and experienced in my job. It was doing, we were doing really well. My department had grown. I'd grown the department from you know, quite a small kind of 
cool, trendy girl to something that was a bit more substantial and every day. Everything was going really well. But I did, I don't know, I always have these kind of moments where I have an instinct and I feel like it's time, it's time to go. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I... Where are we at in the timeline right now, roughly? So this was um, last year. Okay, so very recent now. We're almost up to present. Okay. Yeah, almost up to present. I've been there for almost four years. And in like October, November of last year, I um, decided to leave Marvie. Mm. Um, I decided to take some time out first because I've been working very, very hard (laughs) (laughs) for a few years. And, you know, I like to um, travel. Um, And I spent some time in San Francisco. I went back to um, Shanghai. No, I went back to Istanbul for... Um, a few months, I spent some time in Bulgaria, and then I, um, it's really handy when you have friends, oh my god, sorry, that's my cat, (laughs) I brought my cats back with me, by the way, as well, (laughs) I've got two cats, shh, they're quiet, yeah, um, and (laughs) that was, that was, that was hard, trying to bring two cats back from Istanbul, yeah, did you put um, them under the seat in the plane? (laughs) <laughs> they were too heavy they're such fatties oh no <laughs> i i uh, there's a long story but they went okay. overland they traveled themselves they went through oh gotcha and everything <laughs> okay okay but um i yeah i i came back i oh, know i was in bulgaria and it, what i was saying actually is it's really handy to have friends that live everywhere mm. because i pretty much with all those places, I've just stayed with friends. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. And when, you, when you're working internationally for so long and you meet people along the way and everybody moves. And everybody's um, from somewhere else and yeah. Yeah. So, oh, so uh, cool. in the next few weeks, I'm going to be going to Paris because my friends just moved to Paris. <laughs> I've got a friend in Germany that I, I promise I'm going to keep, you know, I keep promising I'm going to go see and that kind of thing. It's pretty yeah. cool. Um. Yeah, so then I um, decided to come back to the UK, and um, now I'm living in the UK for a while, um, and I've based myself here for um, a little bit um, while I decide on what, ne- what blah, while I decide on kind of the next adventure. Yeah. Um, I don't know where it will be, uh, whether it's going to be in the UK or abroad. I'm kind of just sort of uh, seeing what what's out there, and then I'm enjoying. I'm working freelance at the moment. Yeah. And it's just great to be back in my my home city of Manchester. I've not lived here for so long, but it's kind of a novelty. <laughs> That's so cool. What so, do you yeah. like? Okay, so now this is kind of. I mean, I know you're doing some freelance work, but it's 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 the second time in your career that you proactively made the decision to take some time off of a you know full-time job um which I think I I know a lot of people out there listening are gonna feel like I would love to do that but that terrifies them because Mm. there's this whole concept in the fashion industry that it's like why do you have a year gap on your resume or Mm. how do you prove that you're still up to date on the trends and you know what's going on and for you it seems like you've 
and I, I wouldn't, I don't want to discount what you've done and how hard you've worked, but like you've easily been able to like take this time and then create a new opportunity for yourself. And perhaps it goes back to your network with the recruiters and the agencies and friends and industry contacts. But I know for a fact there's people out there who would love to take a year off, but I think are terrified of quickly becoming. I don't, I don't know if outdated is the right word, but like, why is there a gap in mm-hmm. your work here experience? Mm-hmm. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I, I know that is one of the, the fears cause I had that fear when I first took, uh, decided to take some time out. I was so terrified of leaving my job. I was like, Oh my God, a whole year, you know, um, what, what's going to happen afterwards? Um, but I had kind of this immense urge to travel. And the way I kind of worked around that is I, I never stop. I never stop. I'm continually creating. I'm always working on something and ideas, whether it be um, like just design. I'm always designing, basically. I'm always keeping up to date. I, I read um a lot of like business news fashion news um podcasts um i just don't i don't actually take a, a break from fashion um i take a break from the job roles cuz fashion is something i love yeah. i i really really enjoy doing so i wouldn't ever think to take an actual just not do it like every yeah. day i i'll read um and fashion news I'll read what's going on and find out what the trends um I will research and create a little mini collection just personal project just for fun because um, you love just it for fun, yeah. just for fun yeah and then when I go back what I found has been amazing is when I go back to go to interviews or to talk to um clients I can bring all of my influences from traveling or wherever I've been and back up um, with research and, and with with design work of what actually I've been doing for the past six months, two months, three months and say, this is what I've been doing and this is the reason I've been doing it, and these are all the research and this is all the newness that I can bring to your mm. company because I've been out there and I've seen it. Brilliant. Yeah. So I think that kind of thing helps. Like, if you're going to take a year off and just sit on the beach and drink cocktails, and that's, I think that's a waste of time anyway. Yeah. Um, maybe one day. <laughs> but, <laughs> or two, but not, yeah. Not, not, not six months of it. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm a creative person, and I always strive to do um, something creative every day. And I like to kind of bring that into whatever next I'm working on. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's, um, I've had this conversation with other people on the show before of this like concept that if you are genuinely like so passionate and excited about what you're doing and whether that's in the fashion industry or whatever it is, it honestly becomes like a physical extension of your being and you, you have to do it no matter what. So for Mm -hmm. you as a designer, it's like, 
I am just, I'm going to do these self-directed projects. I'm going to sketch. I'm going to take pictures. I'm going to look at the trends. I'm going to gather my inspiration. I'm going to put together mini collections because you love it so much that that's just what you do. Um, And if, and, and to people out there listening, it's like, if you don't find yourself doing that, then maybe it's not the right path because it should be something that like, yes, it's hard work, but you do it because you love it. And it just, it's an extension of your being. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely what I agree with that completely. Yeah. Um, and if you don't, if you're not uh, you know, going out into the world and you, know, you can find inspiration anywhere, it can be uh, the pattern of a pavement or, um, or a vintage piece. It can be something as obscure as like a tire or a, a brick wall. If you if you're not seeing uh, little things that draw your attention and and kind of using that um, to create uh, and you don't enjoy doing that, I, I, you you shouldn't really yeah shouldn't really do this. Yeah, <laughs> you'll get bored. Yeah, no, I think it's really true. I think it's really <laughs> true. Um, Carla, this has been so, so, so much fun. What an amazing journey in life you've led so far. And there's, I know there's so much more adventure ahead of you. Um, I would love to end with the question I ask everybody at the end of the podcast. And that is, what is one thing people never ask you about working in the fashion industry that you wish they would? Hmm. Um, I... I would like, cause I would like people to ask, um, what percentage of the time do you actually design? Okay, well then, can you tell us? <laughs> because actual design is probably about, I would probably say about twenty percent. Yep. Um, the majority of 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 uh, the work goes into the research, which I'm absolutely obsessed with. I love researching. Um, I would say the majority of the work goes into researching. Then you get to do the you know the fun stuff that everybody you know thinks of a fashion designer is the actual designing. Um, but then you're working with the fabrics, and then you have to do tech packs, and then you have to do fits, and then you have to do amendments, then you have to do more tech packs, then you have to do you know all the boring kind of stuff that nobody sees. And I just you know people don't actually understand exactly what goes into making clothes yeah and, and designing clothes and creating something so yeah that, that would be that would be uh something i'd like people to ask i love that well thank you for giving us the 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 absolute transparent answer it's not all all fun and and no. design but um but the other press the other parts are fun too it's problem solving and figuring out how to make things work and and oh, that's yeah. part of the, the fun process thing. too the yeah thing. yeah that's so cool um and where can people find you online or connect with you yeah um so you can find me on my website which is um www clstout.com or on my Instagram, which is Carla L. Stout. Awesome. And I will link to both of those in the show notes. Thank you so, so much. It was really a pleasure to talk with you awesome. and hear about all your adventures. Um, thank thank you. you so much for sharing. Yes. Thank you so much. This is great. It was a great conversation. I loved it. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate each and every one of you out there. And thank you so much, Carla, for sharing your stories, your insights, and all your tips on how you have built such a phenomenal career in the fashion industry, working around the globe. How inspiring and amazing. Uh, As always, you guys, thank you so much. And if you can do me a quick favor and share this episode or the podcast in general in a Facebook group or maybe even a LinkedIn group that you're part of, that would be amazing. It really helps to get new listeners and it helps to get more people all of this insight and information and knowledge that, that you love so much about this podcast. We get great feedback and great reviews on iTunes and too often people tell me they wish they discovered the podcast earlier. So go ahead and help someone else out there who wants some behind the scenes advice and industry knowledge on figuring out how to make it in the fashion industry. Go ahead and make their day by sharing the podcast with them. I know they would be grateful and I would of course be very grateful as well. Again, if you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 60. Thank you so much, you guys, and I will talk to you in the next Successful Fashion Designer Podcast episode. more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 60. Thank you so much, you guys, and I will talk to you in the next Successful Fashion Designer Podcast episode.